Hello and welcome to Le Beaujeu, the official League 1 podcast. It's time for another special interview as we welcome Budovin Zenden onto the show. Our producer Ian Holyman spoke to the former Dutch international about his time at Marseille between 2007 and 2009, the incredible fervour that he experienced down on the Mediterranean coast, scoring against Paris Saint-Germain in Le Classique and much, much more. Do take a moment to rate our podcast on the usual podcast platforms. And we always welcome your comments too, either on email, league1podcast at gmail.com, or using the hashtag LeBourge on Twitter. For now, though, sit back and enjoy our chat with the ex-PSV, Chelsea, Liverpool, Barcelona, and Olympique de Marseille player, Boudouin Zenden. Welcome, Paul Zenden, to uh, Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast. I want to, I want to take you back a, a little bit. 4th of July, 1998. You're sitting on the bench in the Stade Velodrome in Marseille and you watch Dennis Bergkamp score one of the all-time great World Cup goals against, against Argentina. Did you think that nine years later you'd be out there on the pitch representing Marseille? <laughs> No, of course not. And um, I do remember the game, of course, because of the, 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 the tremendous goal and the fact that we went on to play the semis. Um, but there's, there's, there's two other things where uh, the Stade Villadrome was built in a certain way where half of the stadium was orange and the other half was sold to the Argentinians. So they had the uh, Celeste colours. And you had this real... Um, uh, two sides, uh, uh, and uh, and it had something special to it, and because it was open, it it, it I mean, it's um, it was a funny sight from the pitch, looking up to the stands, seeing these two colours, and um, our left back, Arthur Newman, uh, he was uh, giving signals to the to the to the bench, uh, pointing at his at his at his shoes, so our kit man went all the way over to the other side and brought him another pair of shoes, and. W- Back then, we didn't have these um, communication systems where you could phone in. And then he came back with, with Newman shoes again and said, but what's going on? He said, no, he didn't want any new shoes. He's got cramps. He needs to come off. And then that's when I did my warm-up and I was sent, standing on the sideline to come on. Um, literally, the, the, the boards were, were in the hand of the fourth official. And then he took uh, the red card against um, uh, Argentina. I believe it was Ortega. Um, and then obviously uh, Gus Heading at the time looked at me and I said, listen, we're not going to do this sub because we're going to look at it differently. And um, then afterwards in the game, Edwin van der Sar also with a little bit uh, theatratic um, uh, acting uh, got one of the Argentines sent off. And then that's how the game ended up uh, 10 against 10. And Burkham scored that uh, worldie and just put us in, um, in the position to go on and, uh, and face Brazil in the semis. So the first taste of, of Marseille and the, and the velodrome before you actually, quite a long time before you play there, you, you, you do a little, quite a nice little route between Barcelona and uh, Chelsea and, and Middlesbrough and uh, Liverpool. What did, what did Marseille mean growing, growing up? in the Netherlands to you? You know, they, they were European champions. They won the Champions League. I guess you probably saw them as a, as a young player when you were at, at PSV. Johnny Rep had had big success with Saint-Etienne and Bastia. What, what did they mean to you as a kid? It, it, funny enough, and I guess it, it's for a lot of 
countries the same, that the French league isn't broadcasted that much. So we didn't see much. Uh, when I was growing up, it was all about the Serie A, where we had um, uh, Rijkaard, Van Basten, Gullit playing. Even Aaron Winter was at uh, Lazio Rome. Uh, uh, when I played in Spain, we still had uh, Clarence Sadov playing and um, Edgar Davids playing in, uh, in Italy. Uh, so it was more maybe Italy than France um, uh, that was um, uh, broadcasted. So we, we didn't see much, even uh, as you say, the, the names you just mentioned. Uh, we didn't get to see a lot of it. And the only thing that, that uh, reminds me, of course, of that period is that when um, Marseille played a, a big role in Europe, uh, when they won the Europa, you know, we're going to call it Champions League, Europa Cup 1, or, uh, back then it had a different name. Um, and uh, of course, that's, they had this uh, flamboyant uh, uh, owner, chairman, uh, Bernard Tapie. Um, I remember stuff where the lights uh, went out during a game, you know, the, all sorts was happening. Uh, that was more, uh, must say, to me back then than, um, of course, later on, I got to know the club much better. So how did the move to, to Marseille come about then? You, you, you were at Liverpool, you'd, they, they were the European champions a, a couple of mm-hmm. years uh, earlier, just, just before you, you joined them. You must have had other options, I guess. Uh, well, uh, Honestly, I did enjoy my time in England. Of course, Premier League is Premier League. Um, but I played for Chelsea and I did play for Liverpool. I had a spell at Middlesbrough where I did rather well and did well in Europe. But you also come to a point where you say, okay, what am I going to do next in the Premier League? And it's not that you want to be playing for all different teams and, and what's the chance after Liverpool playing for Manchester United or you know, City wasn't that big at the time. Um, I, I felt maybe it was time for something different and I still had very good contact with Jibril Sisse um, he was in uh, he just moved to Marseille and um, yeah he, obviously he rang me and said listen you have to come to us I mean we want you here we need you here um, I believe they just did they not just sold Ribery to uh, Bayern Munich yes, they so they were looking for a winger and then the move came about. I had a very good um, um, chat with uh, Pab Diouf, uh, who obviously of late um, uh, we lost due to Corona, um, which is a big blow in general for sports, for Marseille, for everybody who loves football, because he was a very um, important figure in, in football, uh, let alone for his family. Uh, this is what um, the Corona crisis does as well, you know. It's it's it, it's it's um, it's a human tragedy in general, but also economy-wise, because we're talking to each other now from home instead of somewhere face to face. Now uh, the deal came apart. Uh, number ten was available. Um, I'm always a player who, when he enters a club, is not. Um, of course, I've got some numbers that I prefer than others, but I would never pick a number that is already taken. I mean, you take what's available, and uh, 10 was available. So, yeah, of course, that's when I took uh, the number 10 on. And I made my move to, uh, to Marseille and I signed a two-year deal. 
you mentioned there that, that Ribéry had just been sold to Bayern Munich for a, for a large sum of money. They were, you were basically his replacement on on the pitch. Did that? Did did, did you feel? I mean, you played for some really big clubs, but did you feel an, some sort of extra pressure because he was such a big hero at Marseille? Yeah. Is that something that even comes into your mind or is it just, I'm going to go there and do my thing? No, I, I never thought about it. Even now, uh, I guess if it would have been a big issue, then I would have remembered properly that I was going to be replacing Ribéry. Um, no, I never thought about it that way. I just wanted to go there and do my do my part. and. Um, yeah, there's still a lot of stories to tell about Loem. You, you made your debut uh, in, a, in a goalless draw against Strasbourg. Yeah. What immediately struck you between, between the differences between England, where you played for a long time, and mm-hmm. suddenly you're thrown into the French game? There's, um, there's two, two, well, several things that I could uh, say about this. Um, of course, when I went to Marseille, I didn't know what to expect, uh, really. Uh, I did have... Uh, good chats with uh, Gibril. Uh, I did speak my French. Um, but the, um, one thing, obviously, was the fans. I mean, Marseille is crazy. The fans are full on. Um, after a few weeks, I, I really had the feeling that um, um, I always compared it a bit where I said Marseille is the French Naples. You know, when you see these images of uh, Diego Maradona in Naples, where, I mean, Marseille is Naples, Naples is Marseille, in a way. Uh, it's also um, um, uh, a city close uh, to the sea with a harbor, and it's, um, it's special. Now, if things go right, that's the best place to be. If things go wrong, you, you better be somewhere else. Now, that was for the fans. Also, what struck me is that when we played away from home, it was still like playing at home. I mean, I remember a game playing away at Mets and we entered the pitch and we were cheered on and then the home team came on and they were booed off. I'm thinking, wait a second, we're playing away, aren't we? Uh, uh, when we arrived in Bordeaux at the airport or wherever it was, there were 200, 300 fans there to receive us. I think. Um, never in a million times I would have thought that would be the case. Uh, of course, I've, I've experienced this with um, Barcelona, mm. but I wouldn't expect it with Marseille. But everywhere we went, everywhere um, uh, there was French speaking. For example, we played a game in Zurich or in Geneva. Uh, the, the, the people would go crazy. Uh, so I really noticed that if you speak French or if you have any kind of relationship to France, nine well, maybe today it's slightly different, but back then, definitely nine out of ten, they were from Marseille. Uh, now with Paris Saint-Germain, obviously having all these stars and, and, and being on top of the league year in, year out, they gained a lot of um, uh, fans, if you want to call it that way. Now, the other thing that um, was a big difference for me, and it took me a little bit of time to adapt, is um, the way we were set up, the way, the way the game was played was different than I was used to. Everywhere I played, for example, also at Liverpool, you play a certain system, everybody has their role, and as a team, you get to a result. Now, when I got to Marseille, it was like everybody plays their own game. Um, uh, if you dribble three players, but you lose the ball at the fourth one, well, that's great, because you dribbled three players. I'm thinking, well, 
that's not the whole idea of getting to uh, score a goal. Or, so it was very much more individual where um, uh, there was a time when I thought, okay, so if I just dribble three players, then the crowd will go mad instead of dribbling one and giving a, a, a nice pass. You know, that the, the, the whole um, way of looking at the game was different. Maybe it had something to do with the North African influence um, where they, they, they enjoyed that bit of the game a bit more uh, than the uh, tactical side of it. And uh, I, 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 in the beginning, when I arrived, that, that was uh, a football point of view. The most important of the most hardest thing for me because I would try to set up a one two or whatever to get to the next level or to 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 free myself for the next phase in the game, but I would never see the ball back because someone else just turns around and, and makes another dribble or you, you get yourself in a position to receive the ball and someone would just keep dribbling for for their own sake and thinking, okay, this is going to be different, uh, so I need to adapt to that. And then if you look at the game itself, uh, I just mentioned maybe it was a little bit less tactical, but physically wise, I mean, they're all fast. Like, they're all physical in the one-on-ones, the duels. And they were very much um, technically very much capable. Uh, they had a lot of ability to dribble someone. So you, you really had to put your, your best effort in um, to come on top of any kind of... Um, game or um or jewel that's really interesting that you say that did 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 that kind of i mean you had a quote you had albert emon right at the start then eric yes. then eric yes. came in and is that is that idea of like being able to just okay guys you go and do your individual thing is that something that came from on top or was that something from the from inside the game already and and you as a as an experienced pro as a as a as a, a hugely respected figure did you try and bend the, the the dressing room to to your idea of football? Was that even possible? Well, it, it, it happened. It happened a little bit. It, it went in phases. Obviously, in the beginning, um, with all due respect to Albert Mont, because I really liked him. He was a, a father figure for the players. Uh, the players really wanted to do something extra for him. Uh, also, because the, the the season before I arrived, they did they did something. Uh, uh, special with him, you know that, that that's how we got to stay there. Um, but I felt maybe the magic was a little bit gone because the players took over. They just did whatever they wanted. Um, um, uh, Albert Emon was a type of manager who would say, "Attackers defending? No, 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 no. They should stay up front and make sure that they make a difference." I'm thinking, okay. If you tell a striker that he doesn't need to defend, <laughs> he's never going to defend, you know? Um, and then Eric Gerricks came in and, and, and I had uh, a certain relationship with him, not because I knew him from before, but he's a Belgium guy. He lives just across the border here. Uh, he was at PSV before, not with me, but and I, you know each other. Uh, and, and we had a very good chat when he came in and said, listen, um, Bolo, Baudouin, um, what's going on here? I mean, what what is it we have to do? What what, what do we have to change? Because um, after maybe ten games, we were still second from bottom or something. Yes, yeah, and that's what I mean. You you don't want to be in Marseille when you're second from bottom. Um, and um, uh, I said, listen, it's rather simple. We need order. 
Uh, we need a game plan and we need to do it together because we're not going to do it on our own. And um, uh, Garrett came in and uh, he set down a little bit of a, not 100%, not black and white, military regime where he said, this is what we're going to do. And if you're not, obviously you're out, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we trained hard, we trained properly, we had an idea, we fronted the games. And we managed to finish third in the league from being second from bottom. Now, of course, if you would have been like this from the start, uh, who knows where we would have ended that season. Um, we did something rather similar in the second season. Um, and the frost, for me, the frost, uh, frustrating thing was that um, just we were two points ahead of Bordeaux. And at the time, Bordeaux had a player called Gurkouf. And they won the last 11 games with either 1-0 or 2-1. It was just something so annoying. We, would, we could be winning 3-4-0, but they would still just nick it just before the end of the game, 2-1, 1-0, thinking, ah, oh, this can't go on like this until the end of the season. And then come uh, three games before the end of the season, we played at home against Olympique Lyon. And I didn't start the game. And I didn't even come on in the game. I don't think I came on. And, and, and that was, for me, probably the most disappointing moment of my Marseille career, if you want to call it. Because I really think that we could have done something. Or that being on the bench, I felt um, I, I couldn't do anything to, to do something about the result or about the way we played. or. It, and, and that's where we lost it because we did win the, the, the last two or three games but uh, Bordeaux never dropped a point so in the end we finished second only one or two points behind Bordeaux and uh, for me that was that was really that was really killing and um, maybe also one of the reasons then afterwards that um, uh, it was time for me to go You got your first goal when, in Eric Gerritz's first home game and uh, it was against Lens. It was the match winner. Um, mm. you, you mentioned how crazy it is in Marseille. And, and at the time, things weren't going, weren't going well. I mean, that was obviously a huge goal for the club at the time. It was, I guess it was a big goal for you too to get your first one for Marseille. And what's that feeling? What's, what's scoring at, at the Velodrome like compared to you know, scoring at the New Camp or scoring at Anfield or scoring at Stamford Bridge? Uh, it's always nice to score a goal. <laughs> I can say that. But um, it, it, I guess anybody who scores a few goals in his career will always say it depends on the moment, depends on where it is, it depends on where you're in the league, it depends on so many, so many things. Um, you could score a hat-trick, but if you win 8-0, then what's the point of scoring a hat-trick? If, if you score the hat-trick while you win 3-2 in a European game or whatever it is, then that's different. Now, scoring in Marseille uh, with, the, with, with, the, um, with the fans behind it, it's, it's, of course, it's like an explosion of excitement and, and togetherness with the fans. It's, um, it's, it's crazy. And, and I haven't been back yet, but I still would love to go back and bring my boys um, I did have the invitations on a few occasions, but because I'm still in football, whenever I get the invitation, I'm, 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 I'm involved myself. Mm. Um, but then they, um, uh, now they've obviously closed the stadium. 
So I can't really wait to hear what the noise is like now because I knew what it was back then. It was already very noisy. We uh, had these uh, these speaker microphones uh, where they cheer, or it can either go two ways, mouille maillot or cassette or they say, allez um, you know, when it's not going right. And um, you always know when they turn the speakers towards the, fa- the towards the fans, you know, it's okay. If they turn the speakers towards the, the field, you know, it's not good. How, how do you feel as a Marseille player when, when, when that happens? I mean, it, it must be a great boost, but at the same time, when, when it, as it's not going, when it's not going well, that must put, put quite a lot of pressure on you. There is some pressure, yeah, of course, and some can uh, can deal with it and some can't, but I always felt um, appreciated anyways. Um, uh, as I say, I, I believe I have a good relationship with them and they've always um, been good to me. Um, but despite obviously the, the the frustrating start we had when I arrived, you played with some of the great talents, uh, young French talents of, of, of French football. Samia Nasri, he was there. I think the first season that you were there, he left. Hatton Ben Arthur came in. You had you had Mathieu Valbuena as well, who became a real favourite at the Velodrome. He was almost like Eric Gerritz's, you know, adopted son. It would seem he was he was yeah. the coach was so so behind him. Valbuena really succeeded at Marseille. Why do you think that maybe Nasri and, and, and Ben Arfa didn't quite maybe make the most of their talents? They probably left both a bit earlier. Um, they're, they're both different. Um, Nasri was a, a player from the club, from the youth academy. Um, he, he would only play number 10 position. Um, he had his qualities going forward. Um, but was was at times very um, individualistic uh, in in his in his game. Uh, funny enough, um, he didn't really like to defend, and then uh, he didn't want to play on the on the sides. And then uh, Arsene Wenger took him to Arsenal and put him on the wing, <laughs> and he did he did whatever he had to do. So that's also um, something that was embedded in how he played when he was in Marseille. Now, Lyon selling their biggest talent to Marseille, that doesn't sound right. Why would you sell your best player to your, uh, uh, to your rivals? Well, when he was there, uh, you could probably tell why. He was a very, very talented player, of course. Uh, but at the same time, it would be like this up and down um, uh, I guess his mindset wasn't always where it should be but um, well he, he still had a career just as obviously uh, Nasri after after Arsenal going to Manchester City and being away in Spain and uh, and, and uh, different uh, different clubs and countries where he's uh, where he's featured um, so they did have the talent and Mathieu stayed for much longer Valbuena stayed and then made a name for himself at uh, at Marseille. I want to fast forward now a little bit to to a classic at the at the Parc des Princes against Paris Saint Germain. Ah, the smile. There's a smile on Valbuena's face of as course. soon as they mention that. Of course. I, the key question, and I think it's the question that everybody wants to know, is: Do you still wake up at night and think, "Damn it, Brandau, you ruined what could have been an iconic celebration"? Yeah, I do. <laughs> because that's the funny thing is my my celebration 
as soon as I stepped on that publicity board from Orange, the, the board or the, the square box, I felt, because it was made out of plexiglass, as soon as I stood on it, I felt it was, I was, I was on thin ice. Okay. But it was still okay. And then, of course, if, if it, the images went all over the world and it hit uh, YouTube, whatever, 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 um, uh, the, I dropped right down into the box. But if you look closely on the images, you can see that Brandao has a little problem because as soon as he steps on, he gets tangled with his legs in, in between the two sides, in and outside of the box. And of course, Brandao being, what is he, uh, one, uh, 190 and then obviously uh, 90 uh, or maybe 100 kilograms extra on top of that plexiglass. Yeah, that, um, that was a funny moment. But as you say, it could have been the best ever because I ran over to the side where our fans were in the Parc de France in that corner. And of course, they were a little bit further away. But I thought, listen, this box is the best way to uh, to celebrate towards our fans. But hey, um, I take it anyway. If you win three uh, one at Parc de Prince against Paris Saint Germain, the biggest rival, you know how it is in Marseille. Uh, this is <clears throat> this is something that sticks sticks with the fans. To be fair to Brandao, he 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 did a nice back heel to you. To, yeah, yeah, of course, of yeah, course. To, to 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 for you to, to to take that nice shot into the into the corner. You've, you've played, I think, your third game for Barcelona in, in La Liga was against Real Madrid, a 2-2 draw, which must have been quite, quite something special. What, explain to us, the fans, what a classic, what a, what a Paris Saint-Germain-Marseille game is like as, as a player for Marseille. Well, it's... Um, it, it, it comes a bit close if you look at uh, Marseille-Paris uh, and Barcelona-Madrid, because it's, it's the capital against uh, non-capital. It's, it's, if you want to call it sometimes, the big money against the smaller money. It's the elite against the, you know, the, the, the normal people or whatever you want to call it. They're always looking for the two um, differences between the two clubs and the way they're set up. Um, but as, as soon as the game comes up, it's not like two days before the game, people start talking about it. It's the same with El Clasico, with Madrid and Barca. A month before the game, there's already a build-up in the papers. The same as Marseille against Paris Saint-Germain. That there's already a build-up. And you know you have to do your, your, your home fans proud. And um, you have to make sure you get a result. And if you don't get the result, you have to make sure that you've done everything possible to get a result. And then if, if you, in the end you don't get the result, then sometimes I can still live with it. But if you get slaughtered and you lose 3-4-0, it's, no, no. I don't want to think about that. So you come home, you come home after that 3-1 that win at, at, at PSG. It's a you know, pretty, pretty, decent, pretty, pretty decent victory. What a huge one for, for Marseille fans. What's the welcome like? What's what's going on in Marseille at that time? You, you're walking down the street in Marseille and you're, like, you're, the, you're the king. Well, uh, two things. One is um, when you when you get back and you arrive to the airport after playing the game, then uh, the fans, they, they, they're already there to, uh, to give you a warm welcome. Um, I also have to admit that a few years before I arrived, uh, there was much more trouble around the game. Because um, 
the the, the rivalry was very 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 um, aggressive as well. Um, but um, when we played that game in Paris, uh, you had a lot of uh, police escorts and stuff. So you didn't really get to the to the too close to the fans. Um, so for that reason, I thought it would be worse. So in a way, it was quite okay to deal with. Um, on the other hand, as you say, in Marseille, <clears throat> when, I, when I played in Marseille, I, I lived in Aix-en-Provence, which was uh, 50 kilometers north. Um, and whenever I was in Aix-en-Provence, I guess that, um, um, let's put it differently, if I went to Marseille to the city, um, I guess in four hours' time, I got much more spoken to, shouted at, um, uh, picture taken, uh, signing autographs and whatever more than in two weeks in Aix-en-Provence. Uh, uh, that was the difference. Uh, if, if you literally live in Marseille itself, you would never be able to escape the madness. But because I lived in Aix-en-Provence, it was more calm for me. You had, as you say, finished third that first season, which was a hugely remarkable performance, given you were second from bottom. I think it was 13 games in when Eric Gerritz uh, came mm. in. You were quite a long way behind uh, Lyon and Bordeaux at, the, at, the, at that time. But in the next season, you come second, that desperately disappointing defeat to, to, uh, to Lyon. Three games from the end, just sees Bordeaux nip ahead of you, and then that's kind of curtains for, 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 the, for the title chances. So runners-up. Still a pretty decent performance. Didier Deschamps is, is coming in, and yet you decide to to leave Marseille. Any any and and also as as a as a Sunderland fan as a kid and having grown up in the northeast, even the summer in in Sunderland doesn't compare with the winter in Marseille. Never mm -hmm. mind anything else. So what was what was going on there? Well, several things. Are, are, I guess you you always choose your path um, related to football. And if you, combine, if you can combine things, then that's a plus. I mean, I, I, I had a choice of Inter Milan or Barcelona. I chose Barcelona because I thought football-wise that would be the best for me. Okay, that they are, that it is a beautiful city, good weather and the beach. Well, that's, a, that's all bonus. But you always choose um, um, something that, that, that suits you as a player. Now... Uh, the, the thing that happened at Marseille is that, yes, Eric Garrix left. Um, DJ Deschamps came in. Um, but what they did at Marseille is that if we played in Europe on a Wednesday, Monday after training, we went into camp. Even when we played at home. So if you played again away on a Saturday, it meant on a Friday you left again. So a lot of the time, I wasn't even at home. Um, well... Before that, prior to that, I've been six years in England. I did play in Europe. But if we played in Europe, for example, if we played Anfield on a Wednesday night, we would report Wednesday morning at 11 or 12, have a, have a jog or whatever and, and, and have a rest and then build up to the game. At Middlesbrough, when we played Lazio Rome in the UEFA Cup, the game was at 8 o'clock. We reported uh, 6.30 at the stadium, an hour and a half before the game. And we won 2-0 and scored two goals. So I was, I was there in France thinking, what am I doing three days in a hotel before the game? I mean, I'm a professional. I know what I need to do. For me, if you would have met up in the morning of the game, it would have been fine. 
But these things, I mean, it's, it's, I, I really had the idea that, that we could do it differently. Um, but then Marseille thought, yeah, well, there's some boys that don't really think like you do, so it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna happen. Now, that was one thing. The other thing is, of course, um, after being six years in the, in the Premier League, you know what the league is about. Um, and, and I thought maybe the best thing for me was to go back to the Premier League because that's, that's where I also had a good spell. Um, and the first signals I had is that DJ Deschamps didn't want me there when he came in because I had to obviously decide either do a new deal or, or, or not. Um, that was the first signals I had. So I said, okay, that's not a problem for me. I mean, I'm on a free and I'm, I'm going to go my way. And then afterwards, they came back a bit and said, yeah, maybe we still want to have a talk. Maybe I'm thinking that maybe is not enough for me. You know, it's either a yes or a no, and we'll go for it. Uh, so that gave me the feeling that the best thing for me to do was to leave. There's no regret that the next, title, the next season, Marseille go on to win the title and, and you could have been a part of that? Of course, I would have been. I would have been so happy. Um, first of all, obviously to win the league. Second of all, because the fans waited for that moment for so long. Mm. And with that, if you haven't been champions for eighteen years, and you become champions, the the actual feeling that there is, you can never reproduce that, because. Maybe a year after they win another trophy and they win the League Cup and they win. But it's never going to be the same as that first time after such a dry spell that you win the league. And I've seen the images. I mean, I've followed it. I've seen it on uh, Low MTV and I've seen it on, on the internet. And uh, I still follow the club a bit, of course. Um, yeah, I would have loved to be there. But hey, what can you do? Just that we've, got, we've got a couple of Dutch guys playing in, in Ligue 1 right now. Memphis. Of course, yeah. a, a former PSV prodigy like like yourself had a, had a bit of a difficult season this season with uh, with uh, that really bad injury. But he was playing so well before it. Had the captain's armband as well, which mm-hmm. it was a, which was a huge decision from uh, from from Rudy Garcia. W- were you surprised by his move to Leon? And do you think that we can that we're going to start now? Maybe when he comes back from this injury, hopefully we'll see the best of Memphis Depay in, in Liga. I'm not sure. Uh, yes, I was surprised when he moved to Lyon. Um, maybe just as much as people were surprised when I moved to Marseille. Um, even now you have uh, Kevin Strootman at Marseille, uh, which was maybe a surprise from Rome to Marseille. Um, <clears throat> but um, uh, I, I had uh, Memphis when he was at PSV. Uh, I trained with him a bit. Um, he's a he's a he's a very good guy, but he he writes his own path. Um, and I remember him being at Lyon saying, "I'm ready for a next step." And then, of course, if you say something like that, everybody at Lyon is going, "Oh, what do you mean next step? Uh, you're here, and it doesn't always go down well when he speaks his mind." Uh, for that reason, I'm not sure if. Um, if after the summer he's he's gonna do everything in his power for Lyon, or if, if he's gonna make another move somewhere, that's what I mean. You never know. And Kevin Kevin Strootman at Marseille, he didn't again. He 
had a, he came in for a, for a lot of money and people are expecting big things. He's he's it's maybe a little bit unfair. He's not really he's not a, he's not there to be a spectacular player. He's there no. to hold no. the side together. But it, it yeah, does, that wasn't yeah. I was just going to say it does seem that Andre Villas Boas seems to seems to quite like him in that yeah. defensive midfield role. And it, can can you sympathise with it with a player coming into to to Marseille where it's maybe if you don't hit the ground running. It's going to be quite difficult for you to 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 get back to the fans on side. Yeah. You mean a bit like my situation? <laughs> I didn't say that. No, 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 no. Um, let's let's put it this way. Uh, I did follow what happened. Um, Marseille were struggling, and the fans, uh, you know, if they did the um, uh, enquête in the papers, uh, what they needed, they needed a goal scorer. That's what they wanted Marseille. They wanted a DJ Drogba. They wanted a, a guy who scores 28 goals a season. And then the club goes and pays 30 million for a defensive midfielder. And all of a sudden they say, okay, so he's going to change our game. So he's going to score the goals. Uh, so all of a sudden, because of the money they paid for him, instead of buying a striker, they say, okay, if, the, if, if then they, they, they sign him on, and he's going to provide all the goals. Well, that's not his game. You know, it's a totally unfair to judge someone on that basis. Now, that's why maybe in the beginning he had a bit of a tough patch. But uh, as you say now on the Villas-Boas, he's got his role. He's, uh, he scores once in a while. He scores a goal. Um, and he's doing the job for the team. And that's a bit when you go back where I started my, my interview with you when I said, Listen, when I came, all of a sudden I saw, I saw people just doing their own stuff because they wanted to make a difference and be important instead of thinking of the bigger picture. And now uh, Strootman is also a type of player who's very much more important for the bigger picture than, than just being this, this goal scorer or whatever you want him to be. Just a couple of quick fire questions to, just to finish off. Yes. Um, the best of your six league on goals? Maybe the one against Mets, the PSG one, the free kick against Auxerre? Uh, it's hard to pick because I, I did score a few and a few were, were nice. Uh, I remember one from, from distance. Uh, I started to score a few free kicks, which I practice in training every, every, every day. That was also sometimes funny. I was still practicing free kicks after training and I already saw players driving home. I'm thinking... Is there something wrong with me or is there something wrong with them? They already left. They were so quick to be away. Um, and I remember, I remember scoring a few free kicks, which was really nice because then you see that what you train pays off. But uh, I guess for me and the fans, um, I guess that the one scoring at, uh, at Paris Saint-Germain will probably be uh, best remembered. Best player you played with at Marseille? Ooh. Um, or maybe the one you most enjoyed playing with. There were a few. Uh, how do you pick? Because I, I really... I mean, everybody's good in their own position, isn't it? I really much enjoyed Steph Mandanda. He's, he's mm. still there. I, I am still in contact with him as well. Um, he's, he's had a great career also with France. Um, Back then, we had uh, Mamadou Nyang, who scored uh, many important goals. Uh, it's hard to choose, as I said. That they all had a 
their specific qualities. A teammate or, a, or, or an opponent you'd never heard of, but who surprised you? Um, well, funny enough, as a story, I was sitting in his dressing room at the commandery. This guy walks in, a bit tinted, and he sits down and takes his boots. I'm thinking, okay, where's he from? And all of a sudden, people start talking to him, but he didn't understand much. And then they, they, they tried to speak English with him. So I turned my, my head, I'm thinking, so I asked him, I said, you speak French? And he says, no, 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 uh, I don't speak French. I said, but where are you from then? He says, I'm from England. I said, what? <laughs> You're from England? He says, yeah, yeah. He said, where are you from? Well, near Manchester. I said, what are you doing here? Well, uh, they just signed me. I said, but, but where from? And I was Tyrone Mears. I'm thinking, oh, geez. I said, an Englishman in Marseille. What's going on? So um, I took him a little bit under my wing. Uh, I spoke my French, uh, still do. And um, I helped him out, uh, sorted him out with... Uh, with uh, the houses and everything, and uh, took him in uh, for dinner, stuff like that. So I still have a bit of contact with him. But uh, just just the fact that this Englishman walks in the dressing room, I'm thinking, oh, if you're an Englishman and you go abroad and you go to France to play, you must be a special guy because not many do. Um, so that's that's one of the stories. I've I've got so many stories in Marseille, but hey, this this was um, this was funny. Juninho Paulista, who you played with at Middlesbrough, or Juninho yeah. Pernambucano, who you played against uh, when he was at Lyon, now the sporting director? How do you choose? Um, I chose Juninho from Middlesbrough. Uh, why? Is because I played with him. I know him personally. He was a good guy, uh, had his qualities. And, of course, Juninho from Lyon, um, the way he played his game, uh, how many times he won the league, uh, he free kicks he took. <sighs> you can't really compare the two, but then I have to choose one who's, um, who was closest to me. The, the, the crucial question now, your favourite Jibril Cissé fashion story? <laughs> uh, um, it has to be... It has to be one where I'm involved myself. Um, I still have a very good relationship with Jibril. Um, he's, a, he's, he's a special special guy, but very, very nice guy. Um, mind you, don't step on his tail. Um, uh, he's, um, he, he's flamboyant, but at the same time, very calm. Um, and he always uh, painted his cars. His cars were never normal. There was something with this car and um, um, at, at Liverpool I believe it was at Liverpool yeah Liverpool we did um, a secret Santa where two weeks before Christmas we would do a raffle and you pick a name and you, you can't tell who it is and you have to bring in a present and they're all funny stuff so Gibral being very f fond of his cars and painting them. What I did is I bought in the, in, in the toy store, I bought a Hummer, um, which he obviously also drove. So I bought a Hummer, got it out of the box, 
and and um, put a few stickers on it, like with flames and the number nine. And he had a car where he had um, the face of his daughter painted on the on the front, on the hood, on the front bit. So what I did is I took a picture of him and then obviously uh, uh, put it on, on, on the bonnet on the front and uh, then closed, put the Hummer back into the garage, <laughs> closed the box and the seal wrapped it up. That was my um, secret Santa present for Jibril uh, because as I say, he, he, I mean, his hairs, his tattoos, his clothing, his everything, his music, everything is um, slightly different, but uh, super guy. Did he like your present? I guess so. He's still <laughs> driving. He's still driving it. No, I'm joking. We we love talking about hair in Le Bourgeois. We have a lot. Lots of yeah. Not mine. Not mine. Obviously, because uh, the, the the people can't see what Paula can see. But I don't have too much. But did you have the best hair in the Marseille dressing room? Um, Loric Sana, maybe. Gibril. Yeah, we had a bit similar. Gibril had every week something different. Um, so why not give it to Jibril? And last question. There were three trademark Bolo goal celebrations. You, you scored a brilliant goal, a uh, brilliant volley for PSV, and you did a, did a somersault, but then didn't yeah. quite land it. Does the, the, the box... The, that we... the, first, the first one I did, the second one I didn't, yeah. <laughs> the, the one that I saw you didn't. It was a great goal. Okay. The, 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 the orange box... At, the uh, one you saw was a scissor kick. Yes, it was. It was a beautiful... A beautiful... I had a one before that in the same game. Okay. There was a corner that dropped on the 16-yard box and I just volleyed it in a drop kick right in the stench. And I did the somersault and it worked. But <laughs> the other one, I was towards the end of the game and I was tired. Of <laughs> yes. There's that Second celebration. One. There's the, the celebration against PSG which Brandau just ruins for yeah. you. And then, of course, there's that dance with Asimo Jan at, uh, at Sunderland. Of, yeah. those three, of those three goal celebrations, which one would you like to do again? Um, I would say the Marseille one. Maybe if I do the somersault again now, I would definitely do myself harm. If um, I uh, do the dance with Asamoah Jan, um, it, 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 it was funny and it is funny and it was all meant to be funny, but I didn't score the goal. Uh, it was his goal. Um, so I have to go for the second one with, uh, with Brundell. Brilliant. Thanks for your time, Paul. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thanks so much. Okay. Uh, thank you. 